Welcome to the State of the Lakers show on Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out. Um, to be 100% clear up front, we're not going to spend too much time talking about this particular game because there's just not a ton to learn. Yeah, there was a little stretch there in the second quarter where, you know, Reeves and Bradley and Baysmore were able to get some stops and, and, and keep the game looking somewhat interesting, but not really anything that's going to translate because, uh, you know, Anthony Davis and LeBron will be in the picture at some point. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then other than that, I mean, yeah, Seiko Demboya looked a little more active at the end. Sure. But he's not going to fix these problems. So not really too much to talk about from this particular game, but Raj and I want to focus on two particular topics tonight having to do with what ails this team. And that is injuries, of course. And then also, the conundrum surrounding Frank Vogel, which we'll get to. But I wanted to start with this injuries thing. Raj, you had told me that you had something you wanted to say about just how depleted this team is and what it means. So I'll give you the floor for right now. Yeah, so I wanted to start with the idea that this team is too injured to compete, right? I, I've seen that a lot. Um, we're both on Lakers Twitter, both active on it. You can kind of take the pulse. Uh, that's pretty much the take that a lot of people have. And I think like just me and a lot of people, I'm not speaking for everyone, but are kind of just tired of speaking about a hypothetical team, right? Or a team that's theoretical in that way. So last year, just the season before, the Lakers won the title. And then they had a whole new team to start the year. AD wasn't himself, but that is what it is. They went 21-6. and six, And then AD goes out, I believe, on February 14th with an Achilles injury, right? Mm-hmm. A month later, LeBron goes out March 20th with an ankle injury. Since then, we've kind of been speaking about. Since since then, we've kind of been speaking about the team in hypothetical terms, right? And like, oh, when LeBron gets back, oh, when AD gets back, and then in the playoffs, we got a few games of it, and then again, AD went down in Game Four or some forgot which exact game it was, uh, but he went down, and then from there, again, that the season was kind of over from there. But again, this year, again, we start this season, they start slow, and again, people say, oh, wait for. Kendrick Nunn to get back, wait for THC to get back, wait for Ariza to get back now, wait for LeBron to get back. And that might all be true. Like the team might be fine once they're healthy. I just think like all we can do kind of is analyze the team now, right now and analyze the players that are on the floor, the lineups that Vogel's putting out, the execution that the players are doing. I think we can still talk about that without just continuing saying like, okay, yeah, the team is going to be fine once they become healthy. Do you, do you kind of understand what I mean there? I, I just feel like there's this like, need to just push everything forward and i think there are things there are issues right now that's that's hurting the team which is why we're going to speak i guess on vogel after this but like do you see my point there yeah 100 percent. so there are separate issues here the the there's an issue surrounding you know um injuries and the fact that just strictly from a personnel standpoint there's not a whole lot that the lakers can do that normal basketball teams are doing right now that is fact however Mm -hmm. The team also has no identity. They, they don't have anything that doesn't rely on their talent. Does that make sense? Like the reason why your team is a number one defense when LeBron and AD are down is because aside from talent, there was an identity on the team that manifested in focus and effort on the defensive end. Everybody doing their jobs. Okay. That doesn't rely on talent. Okay. So, you can <clears throat> we're going to talk here in a second about how the absence of forwards on this roster makes kind of the the five man lineups those concoctions that they put out there not make sense most of the time because there's just nobody that's over 65 
that's not either a center or Carmelo Anthony, who's got cement for shoes, you know, so there there's, that's a real problem. However, the lineups that are getting on the floor are not competing. That is also a fact. So you have to address those things separately. And so that's kind of what's going to piggyback into the Frank Vogel thing is, you know, for whatever reason, this group is not buying in the way that previous groups did. And I, I want to save the Frank bit for later, but to me, that is a separate problem from the personnel. Now getting to the personnel, it's really simple. Cause I got in an argument with somebody today about how you could lose to Oklahoma city a second time, you know, right. Cause the first time you might be able to look at it and go, Hey, effort, right. This is an effort problem. <clears throat> sure. But that second half against Oklahoma city the other night, you're only up four at halftime. I think it's 52 48. If I remember correctly, so there's no sneaking up on you at that point. You mm-hmm. know Oklahoma City is good. You know it's going to be a battle. So how do you go about winning that game? You're, you're going you're gonna to approach it with urgency. You're going to play hard. You're going to try not to get shown up on your home floor or on, uh, by, by Shea Gilgis Alexander. You're going to try. But for whatever reason, they still couldn't get it done. And the reason why was personnel started to become a problem. That's a real that, – that's, that's worth – bringing up here when they would play small with Anthony Davis at the five, which is what they have to do with Russ. Cause Russ, as you saw tonight, cannot play that, you know, uh, let me make all the decisions with a rim running big thing anymore. It just doesn't work. He's not athletic enough anymore. And his decision-making is nowhere near good enough to succeed like that. So he has to play with AD at the five, but the only way AD at the five works is if you have somebody that can play on the back line that has some size and athleticism and good defensive instincts. We saw a quote, I think it was today from Frank, where he said, I like playing AD alongside another big because I want him on the back line. That's what he's referring to. If AD is the only five or the only big man on the floor and everyone else is six, five or shorter, and he's defending screen and roll actions against people who can shoot like SGA, like Dame, and he's out on the perimeter, all you have is little 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", guys running around on the back line trying to stop somebody rolling to rim, trying to rotate and cover space and blow up stuff in passing lanes and all that stuff. So there is, at the core of this, a personnel problem. No matter what they did this offseason, whether they had signed Rudy Gay instead of Kendrick Nunn, which was something I wanted, or whether they had gotten healed instead of Russ and uh-huh. managed and managed to keep one of either KCP or Kuzma. I think if I remember correctly, had they done the healed trade, they would have kept one of those guys. I can't remember which one, but it's irrelevant. Yeah. So the point is, even if all of that was right, if three of those forwards get hurt, the team's not going to be good because at a certain point you need a, you need personnel to, to play basketball. And so I, I do that to me is absolutely one of the issues, but you are correct, Raj, in pointing out that it's not the only issue and it can't be solely blamed. You have to confront the obvious glaring stuff that goes beyond personnel. Right. So I know you said you didn't want to talk about tonight, but I mean, we do these spaces after every game uh, and we take notes. I take, we both take notes on it and try to figure out what happened. So tonight, I understand what Vogel's saying. He wants AD on the backside, but that's just not, like tonight. I was pretty sure AD was going to start at the five. The Blazers start Robert Covington at the four, right? 
which means you have Nurkic as the only big, and you have Dame and CJ running all around all these screens. So what happens? They start DJ, and he starts. He's the only backline guy. AD is sitting next to Robert Covington. They're just pulling up whoever DJ's is guarding. Dame, I, I wrote it down here. First play of the game, Dame comes off a little breast screen. They involve DJ's man, wide open three, switch. Next play again, DJ comes, uh, Dame comes off, another wide open three, switch. I think he started three for three. Those are layups for him. I don't care what his percentages are. Like those things are the type of stuff that has nothing to do with Kendrick Nunn being out, THT being out. That's just stuff that's like, that doesn't make sense for the type of game we're playing. And I totally understand this is a long play. But like, I think the LFR people said it as well. We're in survival mode right now. We can't just blow games. Like, did I think they were going to win tonight? No, but the game shouldn't be over within five minutes to a Blazers team. You know what I mean? I know that AD mm-hmm. went out with AD went out with stomach pains and that's a whole nother issue. Um, I don't know what happened there, stomach illness or whatever, uh, that he was kind of 50-50 to play anyway. But we were already down, I think, like 12 or 13 when he went out of the game. I don't remember the amount. They were already kicking our butt. I think it was like 19 to 10 when he went out. He had uh, Robert Robert Covington on him, taking away to fadeaway jumpers. DeAndre Jordan's health defense is terrible, staring at defensive rebounds. Like, those are the type of stuff, like, you can clean up the margins. And then Russell Westbrook still just playing in an absolute phone booth. And again, like if your defense can do enough to where you're playing two vigs and it matters, then that makes sense. We just can't score though. That's why I thought like we should have just went Russ, AD, three shooters. And then when AD went out, just do Russ with one center and three shooters. And I thought we looked at least competent. We still got kind of ran off the floor a ton with Russ's decision-making, but that's kind of our only chance here. Like we had 50 points with, I think the third quarter almost ending with a team full of guys we supposedly switch defense for offense for, right? And I think, like, that's my issue here. Like, I understand we're missing guys and all that. But, like, even I think you still kind of have to look at things game by game and just look at what's going on. Maybe it's just the execution. Maybe it's the game plan. Maybe they've tuned them out. I don't know. I don't really want to go to that. Really, I know we'll talk about that next. But, like, that's where I'm kind of frustrated with is that, like, this non-adjustment that we're doing here. Like, tonight I thought it was clear AD should have started at the five, even though he came out in the first quarter. Uh, but he didn't, and the game went exactly how it thought it would. Dame got three wide-open looks, put himself in rhythm, and then he was starting to take those FU threes, and the game was gone uh, by the first quarter, really. So, like, do you know what I mean there? Like, it's just I feel like we're not seeing – I get the roster has its issues. It's just we're not maximizing the talent that we have, and I don't know if that's just a long play of keeping these two bigs together or if this is just another larger issue. So this is a perfect segue into into the Frank stuff because you know I think you and I are both big Frank apologists. Um, you sure. know, you know one of the biggest problems that I bring up to people who advocate for firing Frank is they don't understand that you're not going to find somebody better than Frank right now. You mm-hmm. might be able to find some young coach with a lot of potential who's got you know good. Uh, you know, a brilliant offensive mind or something like that. Somebody who could one day potentially be that guy, but with this situation, with this veteran locker room, with LeBron and AD, there's just no better option than Frank in terms of the totality of what he brings to the table in a vacuum. However, what Frank is doing right now that is undercutting this to some extent and putting himself in danger in terms of his job security is he's being stubborn. You know, what what Frank has tried to do with this group is more or less the same than what he's done with previous groups. And the bottom line is, is he doesn't have that personnel anymore. 
And, and that, that to me is one of the biggest indicators of, uh, of stubbornness is trying to force your system on players instead of choosing a system based on your players, if that makes sense. And so you're absolutely right. You cannot do anything with Russ on the floor with two bigs. It's hard enough with Anthony Davis with how poorly he's shooting. We talked a lot in the last pod about how he's nowhere near as good as he was in the bubble. So that already has an impact on spacing. We talk about that baseline spacing that you need for dribble creators to operate. And it's already hard enough with how poor AD is shooting. Guys are leaving him open on the perimeter. So when you couple that with the second big, it's just a complete disaster. You look at the Rondo situation. Oh, and then even forget about second big for a second. DeAndre Jordan just should not be that guy. That's, the, with Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis healthy, there's absolutely no excuse in the entire world to let DeAndre Jordan see the floor, which is what we talked about all damn summer. Same thing goes with Rondo. With this group, you went bigger on offensive creation. You brought in Russell Westbrook. You brought in Malik Monk. You brought in guys like Wayne Ellington that you can run off of screens as a a mix-up in your offense. You don't need Rondo like you did in 2020 when nobody could put the ball on the floor other than LeBron. That was a different need with that group. And so continuing to force Rondo into these lineups and continuing to force DeAndre Jordan into these lineups is an indication that he's too stubborn and that he's not willing to adapt to what his current circumstances are. So that's a legitimate criticism. And then secondly, a team not buying into what he's doing, a team not attempting to run his scheme full bore with energy and with focus is evidence that there's possibly, and I'm not saying this is happening, but there's possibly a little bit of a mental checking out sort of thing going on here. And to be clear, it is once that train gets off the tracks, it's almost impossible to get it back on the tracks. If these guys, if these veteran guys in that locker room have quit on Frank, it's over. There is no version of this where it all just comes back together and it's hunky dory. If Anthony Davis has decided Frank is the bad coach for this team and it doesn't work and he prefers David Fisdale, then even if David Fisdale is a lesser coach in totality of what he brings to the table, he would be better for this team because the guys would play for him. That's where it gets really delicate because Frank is the best coach for this team, but it seems like the guys don't want him. That's just what I'm picking up. It's too early. I think they'll wait several more games before they make that call. But that's kind of the vibe I'm picking up. So I guess my question for you, Raj, is am I coming way out of left field here? Or does that seem like something that you're picking up as well? I don't think you're way out of left field. I just am not there yet. Like there's just too many things going wrong on the basketball floor, too many lineup situations that are wrong for to me to even judge if they're buying in or not. You know what I mean? Like, again, like when you have guards who don't stick with Dame, coming off these screens and then you have deandre jordan in a drop back coverage like i don't know what them buying into it more is going to do like cj mccollum's going to eat off that damian litter's going to eat off that nurkic uh nurkic scoring on like malik monk as the help guy like to me that's where i don't really understand it and i know people calling for you know frank some people calling for frank's job like i was i remember 20 
2013. When you fire a coach like in between a season, that's really tough. Like to to go there is a line that I'm not there to cross yet. Like to go there means like everything you did in training camp, you don't have to cross all of it out. But I mean, you have a head coach that was running his system, that putting putting his philosophies, not just this year, the last few years, right? I know the roster has turned over, but the core has been the same. I mean, Vogel's won a title with the team went through this couple of training camps now with the team. Like if you let him go in the middle of the season, you better make damn sure you're right of that because that's a huge kind of decision to do. You put a whole new coach. I know he has assistants that probably share some of the same kind of values. Like I said, philosophies, you know, plays, structures, all that stuff. But once you just, once you release a coach mid season, it's a brand new kind of system now. And again, you can have that excuse as well that, Oh, now they have to adjust to a new system. I think, I think Vogel can stay here. I think there are, decisions and lineups and tweaks he can do that are on the basketball court that he can still switch and again the mentally checked out thing that's something that i just can't get to yet like there's just not enough like again like the lineups that we're pushing out here i understand injuries but still like the ross the westbrook rondo lineups to me just make zero sense at all and i thought the the blazers so i don't know were you listening on spectrum or did you hear the blazers kind of broadcast i had the blazers broadcast okay so i thought they were actually really great uh, actually kind of explaining a lot of the stuff and they made, yeah, I, that- I almost tweeted it out. They, they were very fair to not mm-hmm. like jump on the Lakers because they understood the injuries. Right. And I thought they made something that's pretty clear. And it's not like they said something that, you know, was attacking the Lakers, but they said that the Lakers don't run a complicated system, right? They, they're going to beat you with brute force and, and they can, they, they kind of use the example of like a LeBron AD pick and roll, right? Like a, you kind of know what's going to happen. And I think that's the way Vogel kind of plays. He has a, small set of stuff that he wants to run and i think for that to work the lineups have to fit kind of what you want to do there and the blazers broadcast is saying if they're going to keep having russ you know be screened by deandre jordan then the blazers players are just going to keep flying into the paint russ is going downhill there's zero help that's come you saw all these he was i think he was one for 13 tonight i don't know exactly what he finished with a bunch of turnovers but again like that's just kind of stuff that i just don't understand that i think is still fixable so no i'm not there yet on that has the team tune, you know, Frank Vogel out. Uh, I, I just can't get there yet, but I can see how you, how other people have. So you're, you're right. It's, it's a very dark path because it does get ugly. And for, there are examples of it working. I mean, no different than LeBron in 2016. I mean, I, my, the, the first time I paid to go see LeBron in person was in 2016 in December in Phoenix and I spent extra money on good seats and I was sitting in the 10th row. And for whatever reason, he never came out of the locker room in warmups. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And he ends up running out like right before the opening tip and just kind of BSs his way through the game ends with like 14 points. Kyrie ends up having a big game and they win. And I remember sitting there thinking like, that was really weird. Not just the fact that he didn't come out for warmups, but the fact that, he uh, didn't play particularly well and didn't seem to care much. And I read in uh, Brian Windhorst's book after the fact that he had gotten in an argument with David Blatt and uh, was basically pouting in the locker room. And, and that's how that all played out on that night. And it was really ugly there. And it seemed like everything was off the rails. But for whatever reason, when they fired David Blatt, everybody bought into what Ty Lue wanted to do. And when they did, the team took off and they won the championship. And so I'm going to, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to make the case for what that would look like 
and why it could work. But uh-huh. to be clear, if it didn't go exactly like this, I think it would be a disastrous mistake. If Fizdale could do three things, one, get the guys to buy in, meaning they commit on both ends of the floor, night in and night out, in a way that they haven't done for Frank, if he can do that. And then two, if he can play AD at the five only and spell him with Dwight Howard in the minutes where he's off the floor and play DeAndre Jordan only when either Anthony Davis or Dwight Howard misses a game. And then three, if they implemented some more modern defensive tactics, a lot more switching, particularly with lineups like the starters, like if you have Russ and Bazemore and Ariza and LeBron and AD, do some switching, force teams to do a lot more isolation attack, things along those lines. Be one of the problems with Frank here is he's trying to run this like, you know, drop coverage with guys tagging in from the outside and covering and rotating for each other. But the problem is none of these guys want to rotate and recover. So what Brooklyn did that's so smart is they understood they had lazy defenders. And so they put a defensive scheme in that kind of caters to laziness. Switching kind of caters to laziness in some ways. You don't have to fight through screens. You can actually make up for physical effort with mental effort. If you communicate every switch just by talking and paying attention, the physical wear of the defense is lighter and easier. And it bizarrely works really well in the playoffs because it stagnates teams. It forces teams to isolate you and pick somebody on the court to try to attack one-on-one, which by the way, if you're choosing between Russ Bazemore, LeBron, Ariza, and AD, good luck. Like there's no good option there for you to isolate. So if they would do that, if they would run some more modern defensive principles, if they only played single big lineups, and if they bought in, all of a sudden the Fizdale thing could work, even though Fizdale's not as good of a coach as Frank. But if it's not going to be those things, if they're going to go to Fizdale and do more of the same crap, tons of Rondo, more DJ next day, Anthony Davis, it will be the move that torpedoes the season. Because at least with Frank, you know, there's a method to his madness. And I'm not sure the same could be said with Fizdale. And, and so I, that's kind of the delicate rope there. It could torpedo the season with chemistry. It could cause a ton of drama. And if it doesn't break perfectly right, it could go ugly. It's no, there's no guarantee it could be the Ty Lue situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Look, it's been, what, 10 games? They're, what, 5-5 five and five now? Like, just to give Vogel a break here. First, we don't even know if it's Fizdale, right? Who, who the hell knows? Like, they can go on their own kind of thing and hire whoever they want. Vogel deserves some, like, benefit of the doubt when you win a title, when you have a proven kind of thing that works. And I, got, I talked about this a whole bunch. Like, Frank Vogel has his philosophy. He ran it. It won him a championship, what, a year ago? Like, less, barely a year, a calendar year ago? Like, who's going to go, like, why Why should it be him that has to change, you know? Like, he should be able to, he can, it's probably. But his personnel can, is different, Raj. That's the key, sure. key here. He's trying to run the same system with personnel that doesn't cater to it. I, I totally get that, but I'm just saying from his mind, like, he's thinking, no, these players, like, you're Malik Monk, you're athletic, you know, Kent Bazemore, you're athletic, Avery Bradley, you know, you can stick on to players. We're going to run this system. DeAndre Jordan, you're going to fit the archetype until we get, you know, fully healthy here. Maybe when Ariza starts or all that. Like, that's something, like, I can kind of give in the benefit of the doubt. I still think it's the wrong move. I think right now we are in, again, like I said before, survival, just need to win games here. LeBron said he's going to be out a week. We'll see. 
Uh, I think there were some quotes today that like THT and none aren't really that close. Right. I think, I don't know if you saw that as well. I think there were quotes that they said like, yeah, they were hoping they come back soon, but they're not really that close as we thought they would be like, this is going to be the team for a little while. Like, I think there's adjustments mm-hmm. that have to be made. We're going to play a whole bunch more good teams. If you think Portland's good, like wait till we play Miami, you know, on Tuesday or, you know, all these, these other better teams that are coming up here. But yeah, just to give Vogel, like, I think there's a little bit of benefit of the doubt you have to give. Like, I don't think it's fair for his first like hit of adversity to where you let him go. Do you know what I mean? Like the first hit of like not winning, uh, you just, you just right away, just put him to the side and place a replacement. That's what like bad organizations do, right? They're in constant flux. Uh, mm-hmm. Lakers, Lakers before uh, they switched to this, you know, Polinka, uh, management they went through a bunch of coaches mike brown mike d'antoni uh whoever the other coaches were they went through a rolodeck of coaches before kind of settling on vogel and he's been the coach for a while like but that's what bad organizations do they react really quickly they react emotionally to you know records or outside noise or all that stuff and they let go of stuff so if you're gonna let go of frank vogel it better be a damn good reason because i think he's still a really good coach even if the lineup stuff isn't good right now like that's where I'm at with this. I, I'm not ready to kind of pull the plug on him. And again, like we're outside the locker room. We don't know if they're bought in or not. All we can do is look at on the floor. It hasn't been great, but I want to give it more than 10 games before I, you know, pull the plug on the, on the head coach. I want to see some more fight in the players. I want to see a little bit more lineup changes as well. Like I, I don't want to just, you know, cut the head off and then you, you just pretty much pull the fire alarm. If you, if, if that happens. So what worries me with Frank in particular is that, that he's not saying the right things, which makes him sound more like an insane person than, than, than someone who's dealing with some trouble. Sure. Like, so for instance, like, like if he was coming out after these games and he's like, look guys, like I have no forwards. So I'm just trying to Jerry rig. He can't say that weirdo scheme. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, my, my point is, is like him coming out and saying, uh, you know, him coming out and saying like, yeah, I, I know, I know 80 at the five, you know, is comes with its benefits, but I, I just prefer having him on the back line as a defender. So I, mm-hmm. I, I want to play with him with another big, that to me is the equivalent of being like, yeah, I know she sliced my tires and egged my car, <laughs> but she's super hot. Like, it's like, dude, you literally sound like you literally sound like you're trying to rationalize a really bad decision. And the, and the bottom line is, is with the, with Russ, when you made the decision to go the route of Russ, you had to immediately understand that the give and take with taking spacing away from him to try to compensate for defensive shortcomings was going to come with such a huge downgrade on the offensive side of the ball that it was going to be an issue. And, and that, that to me is the, the insanity here, like the insanity is like, how, like this dude watches a lot of tape. We know he does. We know preparation mm-hmm. is not a Frank weakness. He's not lazy. That's not his thing. No, he, he's watching this film and he has to see, like there was another one of those plays tonight where Russ got a head of steam going to the rim is in the first half. I don't know if you remember, but he took off his left leg, tried to, you know, go back in 2014. He'd still be hanging on the rim. But he was like way short and tried to do a finger roll and left it short and missed. It's like Russ is not the level of explosive finisher that can finish in traffic anymore. That's that is gone. It's it's not going to be here anymore. He needs he needs to when you decided to go this route, you had to understand the fact 
that the most you can hope for from him is that he can beat his point of attack defender. Mm-hmm. And from there, from that point, you have to make the game easy for him. You have to either make it simple reads like I either have a layup or I'm passing to this guy at the three-point line or I have a layup or I'm throwing this lob. He's, he's not even seeing the floor well enough to hit the lob passes anymore. Like tonight, he was out of control with his lob passes. It's like for every dunk, there's two turnovers. And so I guess, I guess my, my, what I'm trying to say here is like what's bothering me with Frank is he doesn't seem to get it. Like it, se- it doesn't seem to me like he's guy stuck in a tough position who's forced to do things he doesn't want to do. To me, it's, it strikes as I'm uncomfortable. This situation isn't really working for me. So I'm just going to fall back on my habits, which are this specific system with this specific type of <clears throat> personnel choice. And I'm just going to hope for the best. That's what it kind of feels like to me. And, and, and that to me is, is, is concerning. And I mean, and, and to be clear, I'm not saying yet, I'm not saying this should mm-hmm. happen yet, but what I am saying is like only the guys in that locker room know. Right. My, my guess is LeBron and AD and Russ probably have a group chat going and they are, they're either, they're either talking in a hotel room or they've exchanged a few text messages and they're either saying we're fine, just need to get guys healthy. Or those three guys are looking at each other like Frank's not the one. And I don't, I don't know what that is, but if it's option two, if it's Frank's not the one, then make the move. What's the point in waiting? You know what I mean? And so that's, that's where it gets tricky is I'm really curious and we'll never know until the move is made. This is going to come as a Borjanowski tweet, you know, but, but we'll never know until the decision is made. But I just, I'm curious at this point as to, as to what, they are thinking. And you, you said like, this is, you mentioned, this is really sketchy. This is really uncomfortable. Right. But this Mm -hmm. is kind, this is kind of the LeBron experience. Like LeBron is thrives in this kind of drama. He thrives. It like almost every good season of his career comes with all this weirdo drama. 2018. It's like weirdly quits in January and has like an awful stretch where he barely averages like 22 points a game on horrible shooting. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the trades happen, he just starts playing hard again, you know, and then they go all the way to the finals or 2016, you've got a coach fired. There's, you know, uh, in Miami in 2011, there was drama. There was drama in 2014 about how he had beef with Pat Riley for being cheap on, on, on the luxury tax. Like that, LeBron thrives in drama. So like, I promise you they're not going to hold off on that decision because they think it's uncomfortable. LeBron is like, we're going to be uncomfortable because it's going to make us better. That's the way he looks at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And look, like I'm not saying um, it, it shouldn't get uncomfortable. If the losses start to pile up here, it's going to get uncomfortable anyway, right? Like that's just what's going to happen. Like a team that tonight was uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, tonight, oh man, uh, down, the game was over within five minutes. Uh, but yeah, like if they're like five and nine, it's going to get uncomfortable. We're going to start, you know, you're going to like these holes are tough to get out of. Like the Pelicans are one and nine, and that's probably the end of the season, right? Like just realistically, if you look at like the schedule, you're not going to roll off enough wins to kind of catch up there. I mean, you could, Washington did it, but like I'm just saying last year, but like still, like if the losses pile up here, it's going to get uncomfortable. But for me, like you were talking about like Frank Vogel's post game kind of quotes and stuff. To me, that like coaches know what to say in the media. To me, it's like for coaches, it's more actions over their words. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen enough from Vogel. Like this is not our. Like I said earlier, 
in a pod with us like this is not frank vogel's first rodeo you know what i mean like with the lakers and with the media then he knows how things get construed uh all the time uh, but like in the playoffs i saw enough there where like i know he'll make the adjustments when they matter and maybe he believes right now it doesn't matter and i disagree with that i think this is a time like this season matters like we traded a lot of stuff for us we, we've gone in we've gone all in into this year and as you should when you have the superstars that you have uh you're supposed to go all in. And I've seen him make enough of the adjustments. AD started at the five for a lot of the playoffs. He played the five for a lot of the playoffs. That's not, I guess, what I'm worried about here. It's just like the game-to-game adjustments aren't there. And maybe the team just isn't worried. Like you said, maybe Russ, AD, and LeBron are in these group chats and are like, yeah, we're cool. Like, this is the beginning of the season. We won't get our footing until January. Maybe that's what they feel. And us fans just kind of have to go through this. Uh, go through this roller coaster of a season in that way while they're all chill on the other side. I don't really know, uh, but I don't think I don't think the losing if it catches up is going to be okay with the team. I don't think if they're five and nine after these next four games because they very well could. Charlotte's good that we play on Monday. The Miami Heat are good. I think we we play Milwaukee soon. We play these good teams. We could be like six and eleven, and it's going to get uncomfortable. These conversations are going to be had. I don't want to talk about the Vogel being let go, but that stuff is going to be run on ESPN, on SportsCenter. All that stuff is going to start if these game-to-game adjustments don't happen. But I see enough there where there can be adjustments to where you can start at least being more competitive in these games. The Lakers don't have a great roster out of their big three, but it's not enough to where you should be you know, 35-piece by Portland. They could have beat us by 50 tonight, to be honest, if they wanted to, um, if, if Dame and CJ kind of wanted to play tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. to the extent that they could have but th- that shouldn't happen we don't have a roster where that should happen even if 80s out you shouldn't be losing by f- potentially 50 to like a blazer team or losing 20 point leads consisting to okc or you know all those things that wrapped up not just tonight the games before this as well I- i'm just not seeing enough game to game adjustments but like you said maybe maybe the team's lost I- i'm just not there yet and you know there's a great way to circle back to your original point which is like you can only blame personnel for so much. Yeah. If, if like to your point there, no, I didn't think they could come up to Portland and win tonight. I, tweeted that. I didn't, I tweeted that yesterday. I thought it was pointless to even have Anthony Davis dress. You know, if his thumb is hurting, like why, why give Nurkic a chance to slap down on it and potentially make it worse? Like this game, they can't win. Just, just wave the white flag. That's what I would have done. Mm-hmm. However, they should have been able to be at least slightly more competitive than, than we were, right? Like, for instance, like, what, what do underdogs usually do in a game like that on the road? Which the Lakers were an underdog, you know, without Anthony Davis. Usually they'll go in there and they'll compete, you know? Like, you're going to win, but you're going to have to beat us, you know? Like, we're going to linger around 10, 15 points, and you're going to have to put us away at some point. And that just wasn't the way this was. It just looked, it was laughable. And so, you know, that, that, that's, that's where it gets tricky, but I mean, you know, to the and one, one other note about the personnel and everybody, if you have a request, get them in, we're going to, um, as soon as I'm done with this, I'll let Raj quick respond and then we'll start taking callers. But like, you know, so you, you, one of the most common little one-liners I've heard in the last week is this idea like, Hey, how is none THT and Ariza going to make this better? <clears throat> and it kind of, to me, that statement shows a lack of understanding of, of the way basketball works. Like there, when you, when you actually break down the responsibilities that need to take place on the court, there's a certain amount of shot creation. There's a certain amount of isolation scoring. 
there's a certain amount of perimeter defensive responsibility. There's a certain amount of rotational defensive responsibility. There's defensive rebounding responsibility. There's a bunch of jobs that need to get done on the floor. And, you know, the whole point of the LeBron and AD experiment is that when the two of them are on the floor, those jobs actually become relatively easily easy. That's why going into the first season, everyone was like, oh, Danny Green, good, he's washed. Avery Bradley's washed. Like, cool, KCP, you know, he took this bad shot when Kobe was sitting courtside. Like, that was the way it was discussed. But then all of a sudden, they got into these simplified roles, playing alongside two stars, and they all became stars in those roles, and and the team succeeded. And so, you know, that right now – everything is massively compounded by the fact that LeBron's out because all of a sudden those jobs on the periphery have become big jobs. Okay. But when LeBron comes back, everything goes back to being small jobs. And so then at that point, you know, upgrading from Wayne Ellington to THT, a guy who's actually kind of problematic at the point of attack, like good luck trying to dribble in front of him. You know, yeah, he can get lost off the ball, but he's gotten better at that uh, as of late. And, and he can provide point of attack defense like Trevor Ariza, like one of the better uh, wing veteran savvy wing defensive players that we have in the league as evidenced by the fact that everywhere he goes, he plays like 28 minutes a game because coaches just trust him to be in the right spot and to do the right things. That's a significant upgrade. Kendrick Nunn, good luck ever seeing Rajon Rondo on a court again, because Kendrick Nunn's getting all of those minutes. Malik Monk has really struggled offensively because he's kind of a gunner. Kendrick Nunn is a little bit more of a guy who can make reads out of pick and roll. And he's a little bit more savvy with his offense. That's a bit of an upgrade. So when you take all those jobs on the periphery and you put guys who are better in those spots, even if they're just a little bit better. Yeah. Ariza is not an all-star. THT is not an all-star. Nunn's not an all-star, but when LeBron comes back and those roles need to be filled and those jobs need to be done and you get competent players in those spots, I really do think this could look a lot better. So the question, if the question is whether none THT and Ariza can fix this team, yeah, if LeBron and AD are back, if LeBron and AD are playing like LeBron and AD, I absolutely think those guys are enough to make this team a championship contender. I really do think it's that simple. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. And again, like, I think there's just, it doesn't have to be two extremes, right? Like, it's not like they don't have to come and fix everything. And then also, it's also like, that's not the total issue right now as well. They definitely can fix a lot. Like it's not just those three coming back. It's also, like you said, they're going to be replacing a lot of kind of negative players right now. Right. So you're not just kind of, you're not just adding three players. You're also losing three other players, which kind of adds that to more, you know what I mean? (laughs) mean Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, like there's just a limit to here where there has to be a baseline level where you can be at least competitive. Like I'm not asking to win on the road in Portland, like you said, but I'm asking like to not get blown out by the first quarter. Like that's where like none THT, none THT and Ariza make a big difference in terms of rotation. Like I talked about, we're going to get whole new five man lineups. We're going to get a bunch of uh, new rotations coming and a bunch of lineups data we're going to get. But that that's a separate kind of issue to me than like just getting blown out by 30 in the first quarter. Like that's, that's different. Those two are two separate kind of, I I guess they can be connected, connected in some way, but they're still kind of different to me in a way. Like there has to be a competitiveness game night, game by game, situation by situation where you can still compete even until those guys get back. Cause like I said, Ariza, I'm not sure, probably December, um, none and THD, they haven't really put a, concrete timetable on that maybe another couple weeks and we're going to play a bunch of good teams here where you can't just lay down 
and, and get dog walked um, just because, you know, you're waiting for your rotation to settle in. Uh, mm-hmm. so like, that's where I'm at here. Like, I totally agree with you though. This is going to be a better team with those guys. I'm still not down on the team. I don't think either of us are in terms of like what their end kind of situation can be, what their end goal is. Uh, when LeBron and AD come back, definitely this team can still kind of win at the high level. We thought it could. It's just that like, I need to see a little bit more competitiveness here. There's like not this extreme where, okay, until none THT and Ariza get back, we're just going to get destroyed by 30 against every team. Like that, there has to be a middle ground there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Get the first caller on. I'm going to make a football analogy. Like the way I look at it, the injuries right now are like being down an entire position group. And, you know, with football, you have these skill players, right? Like you've got your quarterback, you've got your receivers and you've got your running back. They're the ones that make all the flashy stuff happen, but none of it works if the offensive line can't block. And so like, for instance, the Cowboys this weekend are without Tyron Smith. He's their best left tackle. And that's a huge deal. It changes everything about the way their offense works because their blind side isn't going to be protected as well. That's kind of the way I look at it for the Lakers being down all their forwards. It's like they have all their skill players, but all the guys that do the little things, the dirty work that make this whole thing function are wearing suits. And so now instead you're relying on these players that aren't as particularly good at those things. And so it's kind of predictable that, that, you know, the, even though you have these talented players on the floor, people ask me today, how, how, like, how is OKC more talented than the Lakers when they have Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook? And I say, (laughs) for starters, Russ isn't very good. And two, you know, there's just not anybody around them that's capable of doing all the things that they need to do in order for this whole thing to work. You know what I mean? But let's get, let's get a caller up. For sure. AJ, what's up, man? Are you there? I'm here, man. What's going I don't on? even know where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't either. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start with I'll start with I'll start with Vogel. Um injuries obviously have played a big part, right? I mean I mean we know that. And obviously they would be better if we had the entire squad somewhat healthy. They're not even somewhat healthy. They're just they're just not healthy. My problem is with with Vogel is he's not putting players in their best positions or their best positions to succeed. Like Westbrook was absolute trash tonight. He's been to me. He's 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 been okay um, this season, but he he's not being put in his in the best position to succeed. And why? To me, is DeAndre Jordan. The dude is cooked. Like, the dude should be selling steaks in the back of his <laughs> trunk at Costco. Like, he's cooked. He should be done in the league. If he was cut today, nobody would pick him up. Like, he's done. All right? Lob City was a great time for him. I'm glad, but he's done. Um, and right now, I guess, you know, Vogel is hell-bent on going big, right? He's going. He's, he's just, that's what he wants. But it's not working. It is not working at all. And, you know, unfortunately, Bron's out. We're just kind of <laughs> – he's just trying to make things work. But 80 at the 5 is the answer, period. And as far as we know, that was the plan up until now. And and this is what we get. DeAndre Jordan starting at the 5. And it's been – 
an absolute train wreck. Um, you know, another thing on Westbrook tonight, if you go to my timeline, I was pretty rough on him. <laughs> I was really rough on him, actually. Um, what I'm disappointed in the most is the fact that he, tonight was an opportunity for him with AD out most of the game and LeBron out to show why this, you know, the famous thing on, on Lakers Twitter is that this is why they brought Russ in, right? This is why they brought him in here. Mm-hmm. He was awful tonight. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no, uh, there's no excuses for how he plays. And he he was disengaged. It looked like he just didn't care. And tonight was disappointing because this is the night. Even if we lost, right? I, I mean, whatever. It wasn't even competitive. Um, mm-hmm. he he could have showed up tonight and 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 really got the team together, put some effort out there. You know what I'm saying? Instead, he regressed. He he did he did a, a, what a normal Russell Westbrook game, he did what he did. He he is who he is, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't think he'll ever change and I made a point to some of the homies earlier. I don't think there's been a coach that he's been under who's been able to actually get the best out of him. Maybe D'Antoni? If, if, if I'm being honest, I don't know who else has, has been able to actually get the best out of Russ. Um, and I don't think Vogel is that guy either. And so we're kind of just stuck with Westbrook. This is, this is who he is. He'll never change. And I'm, I'm really hoping once Braun gets back, you know, obviously Braun's our closer. He's going to have the ball when it matters. Um, but at this point, you know, all we can all we can hope for now is just everybody gets healthy and, and see what we can do. But it ain't looking great, guys. That's all I got to say. And we need some wings desperately. <laughs> desperately. They're, they're on the way. First of all, the most important thing, the, the most interesting thing you said is the guy who's selling steaks out of his trunk at Costco. That's genius. This is all I'm saying. They sell them in five packs. And no one wants to spend, you know, no one wants to spend like 80 bucks on a pack of steaks. But what if the dude out front was selling single steaks for like 14 bucks? Now, now we're talking. See, this is, this is a genius idea. Anyway, um, you know, as far as the rust thing goes, this is what I was talking about earlier. Make the game easy for him. You know, he, he was kind of as bad as he looked tonight and he was utterly horrible. Um, putting Russ out there with bad basketball players in 2021, is just going to look ugly. So you know, we talked earlier in the show about simplifying Russ's job. So Russ offensively can't finish in traffic anymore. He's not a good enough passer because he's too reckless to allow him to make 30, 40 of those type of, you know, driving kick type of passes per game. So you need to try to simplify the game for him. If you put AD at the five and you try to play him along AD, alongside AD the whole game, like mirror his minutes, minutes almost, and you put him in a situation where he's playing with a devastating rim roller and three shooters all the time, then his job can be simplified down to all I have to do is beat this guy at the point of attack, and I can either lay the ball in or kick to a shooter. Like, make his job easy. If you do that, I do think he can succeed, Um, especially over the course of the season when he starts to understand what this team needs from him defensively. But it's just, you know, as much as I don't like the Russ move, which I've talked about ad nauseum on this uh, platform, it's this isn't exactly the situation that would show us what he could do anyway. 
Um, I know people say like, oh, like you get Russ to carry you and LeBron's out. And there's some truth to that. But the reality is, is Russ just isn't that good anymore. But in it, there is value in being the third best offensive player on the floor, being guarded by the third best defensive player and having the ability to beat that guy off the dribble and have your team make easy plays out of that. That's, you know, it's what Eric Gordon did for the Rockets for a long time. It's what Dennis Schroeder did for this team last year. Hell, it's what Rondo did for this team last or two years ago and did actually decently well, not because Rondo's very good, but just because that team was healthy and made sense on paper with their personnel. And so when you put Rondo in there in high leverage moments, he didn't have to do anything too crazy. He was attacking bench lineups. All he had to do was beat some bench guard off the dribble. And there was Danny Green or there was Kyle Kuzma or there was, you know, Dwight Howard or whoever it was. Like, again, that's the way you got to look at Russ is not the third star, but rather the best role player, the guy that 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 you don't lean on as this like heavy, heavy, heavy workload guy, but rather somebody that can succeed alongside really good players. That's the way that's the way I see Russ actually working out in the long run. Yeah, and and AJ, you said tonight was an opportunity for Russ. Like, Russ has been in the league a pretty long time. And when we traded for Russ, we knew what we were getting, right? And this is part of the experience with it. It's going to be some bad shot selection. But this is why I think the last game uh, after the space and the last one, I said to just lean into the Russ ball. And, you know, Jason, you were saying people are saying that, you know, you get Russ to carry the LeBron minutes. Well, it's supposed to be Russ and AD carrying the non-LeBron minutes, right? Russ by himself. Like tonight was probably the worst of it. Six turnovers, one for 13. I tweeted tonight, he took 13 shots and I feel like two of them were like ones I would like him taking. It was a a lot of just reckless forays to the rim. Um, They're flying under the screen so disrespectfully where I kind of understand it in a way, right? Where it's like so disrespectfully how they go under that pick and he's like, I'm wide open. I kind of have to shoot. Those are stuff that's just going to happen when it's Russ by himself as a shot creator. But again, that's why I want to just lean into this like he can't play in a phone booth. He's already so already limited in terms of like his strengths and weaknesses. Like putting him in a phone booth with two centers is it just exacerbates the issue with him. And you get and you're gonna get nights like tonight the way he started. Um, and if his jumper's going some nights, great. But like that's not gonna be the norm. That's the exception with Russell Westbrook. That's just how it is. So hopefully, like I thought with LeBron, it was they were starting to grow this little chemistry, and which is why I said the LeBron kind of injury was so unfortunate that I thought they were kind of building a little bit to where he was kind of understanding his role, especially in late game situations where like, he's like, okay, I don't have the ball, you know, the ball's in LeBron's hands, but once LeBron's out, it's all free flowing. Like it's LeBron, it's Russell Westbrook's kind of, I know he's the third best player, but you know, he has the ball in his hands. He's going to be the first option uh, when LeBron's out. So that's kind of how I saw tonight going. I wasn't really expecting him to play, you know, a crazy great game tonight once AD went out. And it's just what you're going to get. With LeBron, it, it does look different, and hopefully that's what we see. Thanks for coming on, AJ. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. we got a bunch of requests here, so we're going to try to go through these ones a little, a little quicker. All right, Alan is connecting. Try to get a few people up here so that we don't have to wait. Appreciate everyone coming out on a on a Saturday night to hang out after that game. Uh, I'm disgusted. Are you there? Yo, what's up? What's going on, man? 
I'm chilling. I'm chilling. Um, basically, Jason, everything you said about Westbrook is like he's just a tough watch, man. Like, <laughs> it's like to me the way I look at basketball is at some point your guards have to have a baseline of shot making ability, right? Mm-hmm. That's outside of the restricted area. Cause like Westbrook is a power guard, but he's six three, right? Like Giannis, he's six eleven. He could get away with that. LeBron, six nine, he could get away with that. Like wings could get away with being subpar shooters. But I don't think guards can. And that's why I'm down on Westbrook and his game. And I feel like his contract doesn't match the impact. And I'm worried that that would make it harder for us to build a contending team. That's it. That's all I got to say. You know, it's you're not wrong about anything, especially the, the stuff about guards being able mm-hmm. to make stuff outside of the paint, at least as it pertains to being considered a star. This is why I look at Russ as a role player. It's something Raj and I talked a lot about on the Thursday show. This idea that, like, you know, if if something has to be catered completely to somebody and their strengths and weaknesses, then they're probably not very good. You know what I mean? Like that, or I shouldn't say not very good, but that just means that's a huge differentiator between them and those that are above them. The guys that are above them can succeed in different types of circumstances. So for instance, in that Oklahoma city game, you put Derek favors on Anthony Davis, who Anthony Davis, uh, you know, has a tendency to rely on jump shooting at the end of games. Now, maybe that was his thumb. I don't want to really dive into it, but you put Lou Dort on Russell Westbrook and a guy like Lou Dort is so big, so strong, so athletic that Russ can't beat him one-on-one. And in addition to that, in screen and roll, even if you try to let him get ahead of steam, he just goes underneath the screen because Russ has no ability to threaten you from the perimeter. And all he has to do is just kind of beat Russ to the spot somewhere around the rim and he can shut him down. Now let's change that scenario. Let's say LeBron's playing. And now all of a sudden it's Lou Dort on LeBron and favors on Anthony Davis and it's SGA guarding Russ. SGA can't guard Russ in a one-on-one situation. Now he can guard him if there's six bodies in the paint, but he SGA can't guard Russ one-on-one. That's a, that's a bad matchup for Oklahoma city because of how strong Russ is. He's going to be able to basically just put his head down and go to the rim. That's the difference between being that guy who's like Eric Gordon was to James Harden and Chris Paul, as opposed to here's one of our big three, the way you got to look at it is like your job is within the context of our whole team when it's put together and healthy is to attack lesser defenders with great spacing. And he can do that. No different than any of these, you know, other tertiary offensive players do around the league, like Jordan Clarkson, you know, like Jordan Clarkson succeeds in Utah because he's primarily attacking bench players and because they set him up with fantastic spacing, even though Jordan Clarkson is, kind of a bull in a China shop too. He's got a lot more perimeter shot making ability than Russ, but you kind of get the comparison there. That's the way that, that, that to me is where Russ was miscast is, you know, the, to me, Russ is not, this is another LeBron to have out there. 
that's going to just just be Mr. Do-It-All on every given night. I don't see it that way. I see him as this tertiary offensive player who has superstar traits like crazy motor, the ability to impact the game as a offensive rebounder and just as a ball of fire and energy. But at, at his core role on the team, he's only going to succeed when he's attacking lesser defensive players with great space. So the only way to do that is to have your team healthy and to play single big lineups. And so I do think if they do that, the Russ experiment could work in the long run. Right. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think he's wrong at all either. Uh, the contract thing is what it is. Like he's not a superstar anymore, at least if he, if he was one, maybe in Oklahoma city, but uh, yeah, he's definitely not that. And the, but the contract is what it is. I don't really want to think about that for now. Like this is the team that we have. <laughs> this is the, this is the team that we have. I still think there's things they can do. Like, like they did in Houston. I thought they did. They did a lot of like where they inverted the offense where PJ Tucker was the five to where like Russ can, where PJ Tucker kind of switched Russ's position where Russ can be in the dunker spot and stuff like that. And you can run, they did stuff in the Memphis game that I thought was good process or Russ was the screener for LeBron. Like, I think there's things that you can do, but you're right. He's no longer this superstar, you know, who makes the $40 million who's supposed to carry the team. That's just not who he is anymore. He can't finish at the rim as, as he used to. He doesn't get the same type of lift he does on attacks, but there's more than I think we've seen. And I think there's stuff that, Look, acquiescing to Russ kind of is what this season is about to me now. Like, you've traded for him. You have to have him fit. Like, that's what this season revolves around. Like, that's not the greatest. That's not ideal. Like, you want to kind of fit everything around LeBron and AD. But that's just what the season we have now is that we have to fit around him. And these two big lineups, I think, is the first thing that has to go. Fit playing him a lot of minutes next to AD. Like, there shouldn't. I don't like these lineups either where it's like Russ and one center that's not AD. Like, running our second units, I don't think that's enough either. But you're right. Look, Russ isn't. This is what you're going to get, especially when it's without LeBron. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with what you said there. I just still think there's ways it can work that we haven't seen yet. All right, bro. Appreciate y'all for letting me on. Podcast is awesome. Uh, I appreciate you, man. We we really appreciate you and your support, man. We'll be back on Monday night. All right, let's see. Uh, D, are you there? Yes, sir. What's going on, What's man? man? What's going on? So my thing is basically with like you know looking at like basically every other like elite point guard in the league, like they like everybody has a floater and like that's like absent in Westbrook's game, like the whole mm-hmm. like like the whole thing and like I mean obviously Westbrook has been playing for a while and like he. He know he like he knows how to play, but like when he gets out there, it seems like he just forgets everything. Like everything's out the window. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, it's just I don't, it's just kind of hard to watch. Like just him just constantly getting outplayed by guards that he's basically paid to play better than or shit, or he's portrayed better than type of thing. So do you think Westbrook stays for the season? Oh man! Oh, I don't think there's any chance he's gone. Uh, I, I, I like his trade value is lower right this moment than it's ever been. So your bet, your best case scenario would be finding some team in the off season that has a ton of cap space but can't get a free agent 
and would be willing to fill up their tax base or their cap space to throw you like to just to throw you a bone, but you're, you're probably not going to get players back. Like why in the world would you want to trade a, a, you know, a bunch of movable contracts for one that's immovable unless you're literally, you know, it's just, it, there's no way like Russ is here for better or worse. That's the yeah. reality. That's the reality. And, you know, I thought the part you, the point you made about him not really having a lot of the polish that his peers at the position have is really interesting. Cause like the, the bottom line with Russ is like, he's always been this. The difference is he at one point was so unbelievably nuclearly athletic that all of the, you know, it, it's always been a trade off of good and bad with Russ, right? Like here's all the good place. Here's all the bad place. But in the past, he was so unbelievably athletic that there were more good plays than there were bad plays. But the bad was always there, even at his absolute peak. If you watch Russ in the playoffs in 2013 and 2014, even in 2012, it's all running around like a chicken with his head cut off. It's just pure, unrelenting ball of energy just being fired at the opponent, and sometimes it hurts your own team. That's always been the way he is. But now he's regressed so much as an athlete that the when you have him as the focal point, the bad outweighs the good, but like that, all those things you're talking about, like floaters and in between game and slowing down and making reads and stuff like that. That was never his game. He's always been, he's never been like a read and react guy. He's always been a just react guy. Yeah, that was never his game, but I thought there was more finesse in his game than I've seen. And maybe just wasn't watching OKC or Houston as close he enough. Used but to, I thought, he used to be a better jump shooter, but that's pretty much yeah. it. That's pretty yeah, much it. He, there was no floater or anything like that. Yeah, and that mid-range pull-up used to be his shot. I remember when we played them in the playoffs, that like transition, just pull up right in the mid-range, jump high as hell on that jump shot. Now it's all off. His form looks all weird. Um, but we talked earlier in the show about like how you know firing Vogel would be the fire alarm, right? Trading Russ would be the house burned down. Like that's that's what that that's what trading Russ would be for this season. And like I don't know if you get I don't know if you got to catch um, Shannon Fry before the game. Uh, he was on NBA TV, and uh, he was saying that in the playoffs, you know, they should, you know, have Russ come off the bench. I'm telling you right now, that's not happening either. Like the the, the Russ nope. is going to be starting. Um, he's going to starting all these playoff game, all the playoff games. Like we have to make this work. There's no trading Russ. Maybe in the off season again. That's not something I want to even entertain right now. Like I kind of want to live in this season still. Um, but yeah, that that's why I don't see happening. But you're right. There's no mid range game. There's like it's either a mid range pull up or it's you know a, a three when it's a bad transition three or it's like trying to get to the rim, finish around three people with less finesse than I feel like he's had. I know you said he didn't have a floater, but he used to have these like finishes at the rim where he'd get to the basket, jump in the air, still be able to get contact, finish at the basket in a way that was like efficient enough and it's because he was getting higher Ross. <laughs> still like i don't know it's, uh, i i just feel like when i was watching when i would when the lakers would play russell westbrook before there was times where he would come at our, our bigs and just score on us at will and right now nurkic he had nothing for him like he tried to finish with left it looked all ugly he's scared he's staring he's screaming at the ref every time like it just like it hasn't looked pretty there Maybe the finishing gets better, hopefully, as we go on. Maybe that's just me being an optimist. But, yeah, Russ isn't going anywhere for sure. And my, my, Really quickly, my theory with his poor jump shooting is, like, I, I, he obviously doesn't work as hard at it as some of his peers. That goes without saying. He just simply would be better. However, I think, I think like, jump shooting for anybody out there who, who, who has had some success in the past making shots in basketball games, 
jump shooting is all about like taking the chaos and slowing it down for a second for you to get balanced and have, and try to repeat a muscle memory thing. And so it, that kind of thing just doesn't cater into his skill set because he's so bull in a China, China shop. Everything's a hundred miles an hour all the time. That kind of thing just doesn't mesh well with jump shooting. Jump shooting is all about trying to control yourself. You're trying to go straight up and down. You're trying to be balanced. You're trying to slow yourself down in a lot of ways. And so I, I think that's, that's my theory as to why he's never been a really good jump shooter at the guard position. For sure. Yeah. And hopefully that, that picks up here and we haven't done him a lot of favors either. Like I, I keep talking about, like, I don't think we can start these two bigs. He's playing in a phone booth and that's tough for any player. It's tough for LeBron sometimes even, right? We talk about how LeBron becomes a jump shooter when we start two bigs. Russell Westbrook, that just exasperates his issue. Uh, but uh, D, I appreciate you coming up, man. All right, everybody. That's the end of part one of this podcast. Again, this is going to air on Dash Radio on Monday morning at 7 a.m. Part two will be Mr. Roosh from Houston Rockets Twitter. Come and hang out with Raj and I at the end of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you on Monday.